Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is episode 43, Kwame Scruggs, Tears on the Drum, Act 1, recorded March 8th, 2021, featuring a conversation with Quanice Floyd. Screaming about irrevocability Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches And fight our own way free Cause the rules don't lie But they don't apply to people like you and me Let's start it up now 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 Now they say it's all decided All divided, all laid out and the pushcart man with a three-part plan can't understand what you're shouting about. But when the past they plow, the lives aloud are the only roads you can see. Just remember who walls were built to fall for old people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Hey, hey, TA Podians. Welcome to Teaching Artistry Podcast. This podcast is researched, recorded, and produced on the unceded lands, water, and air, stewarded by the Canarsie and Muncie Lenape peoples in what is currently called Brooklyn, New York. Thanks for listening, and thanks for being a part of our global community. Invite your peeps, colleagues, and friends to join us and subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or any podcast player. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And check out our Teaching Artistry Pod Shop and buy yourself some merch. A mug, a tote bag, a tank, what have you. Teaching Artistry Podcast is sponsored by Statements from the Soul, created by my neighbor, Miss Hilary Shabazz, who's a beautiful spirit and makes clothes, jewelry, and more inspired by her African and Caribbean heritage. Check out Statements from the Soul on Etsy. First up is a segment we call Friend of the Podcast. Kwanis Floyd is the host of Black Arts Admin Bitch Podcast. Now, Kwanis is a treasured teaching artistry podcast guest, and she is helping to shape much-needed racial equity and justice movement and change in the arts and culture sector. In this short conversation, we learn from her about the inner workings of this new podcast, the target audience, and how it is unapologetically black. Hey, Connie's. Hey, Courtney. <laughs> Welcome to Teaching Artistry Podcast. How how are you? I'm are here. You, yeah, you're here, and you're all here. Ones and I uh. I appreciate that. We are all here, but some of us aren't. So yeah, this has been a rough week. So just kind of like taking it a day at a time. Mm, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank you so much for joining me. And um, I'm uh, I'm thinking about the first time I met you was at the uh, I think the National Guild Conference in Baltimore. Yeah. Um, 
which I think was in 2018. And um, who was that? Was that Hollis who introduced us? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And, and, and then I was like, come on my podcast. <laughs> and we like, like a day later had a conversation and, and, and thinking back to that conversation, we were talking about, you know, navigating me, navigating spaces is what the most thing that I remember besides like learning more about you as an educator and, and a musician and the work that you do um, beautifully. And then we've talked again on um, the a video um series as well and and talking about the work that you're currently doing more currently doing so in the last two three years a lot has happened yeah um uh I said this off 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 the record I'm gonna say it on the record that the work that I learned about what you were doing in 2018 and growing into to now you are very much a guide star you set a beautiful tone of, um, in my opinion, a beautiful tone of like calling people in, calling people out, loving, caring, creating community. Um, you navigate a lot of different platforms in ways that from my perspective, obviously I'm not with you on a day-to-day basis, but, um, yeah, just the way that you, you hold a lot of different kinds of spaces is really admirable to me and inspiring. Oh, thank you. It's it's hard to hold all those spaces. Sometimes I need to say no. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, it's funny when I was thinking about this this morning before I was like, oh, you know, I don't know if I have the best questions. Like we'll have that conversation. And I thought, you know, maybe we should talk about self-care. <laughs> but, um, that's a real thing. Yeah, that's a real thing. Um, so let's, let's talk first. Let's talk about your podcast. So you, uh, you have had m- multiple podcasts and now you, you've just recently launched one. What is the name of it? Black Arts Admin Bitch. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me how you came to that name. Um, Because after like shit hit the fan with, you know, my article and all that other stuff, I knew people was talking about me behind closed doors. <laughs> and one of the words that was being thrown around was bitch. Um, so I was like, ooh, let me, uh, let me just go with it. Let me play with it. And then like Megan Thee Stallion has the song um, and then I remember Missy Elliott's song, She's a Bitch. So I was like, oh shit, I'm gonna change this to a dope ass word so that like I'm embracing the bitch, the black bitch. Well, yeah, <laughs> so. and, and, Queen, and Queen Latifah has a, a lyric or it might be the title, Who You Calling a Bitch? Yep, exactly. That's U-N-I-T-Y. Yeah, yep. yes, yes. And, um, I love me some Queen. Um, I, yeah, because I love that. It's like, it's a it's a bitch session. Also, I'm the host and you know, the, there's, a, there's a nice reclaiming there owning it and engaging in it and like not apologizing for it. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's, it's supposed to be an unapologetically black ass podcast. So that's, <laughs> that's something that I, I do not apologize for. Um, and I've gotten, I've had a lot of conversations about my podcast. Talk about like, so when you were thinking about which came first, like the, the title and then the concept or the concept, and then you started to figure out what the name might be. The title came first. Uh, I actually came up with that title back in September. Might have been September. And then I had uh, someone do the graphic design. You know, you go on Fiverr and they create a logo for you. So <laughs> you give some, but um, yeah, the the title itself came first. And then I had to think about, okay, well, if I'm going to be unapologetic and black, how can I go about like creating the conversation so that it's inclusive of everyone, right? Like, 
people can listen and understand like, oh yeah, this is what I deal with. This is the shit I deal with at my own job, right? Like I just want, I wanted folks to feel seen because usually black and brown folks aren't seen in the arts and culture space. Um, so yeah, that's, that I really want it to be like pure me. Um, and sometimes being pure me uh, causes a lot of conflict with other people, not with me, because I, I, I'm myself, but other people get conflicted. <laughs> Oh goodness. I you know, I think <laughs> there uh I understand exactly what you meant just now. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I I'm on I'm on one side of it and I'm in it as well. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um sometimes when I I I have those moments and I'm like, "No, no, I did that." Yep. Uh-huh. And then I also can laugh and be appalled and angry and all all and feel the pain you know, all the, all those complexities and real, real, uh, realness. Um, okay. So, so in terms of, um, your outreach, so how are you, how are you, um, thinking about the, the specific guests to come into that, uh, into that conversation? Yeah. So basically, uh, I had a, I have a long list of <laughs> folks in the arts and culture field. That I'm like, I just want to have a conversation with them. So, um, now, Here's, here's a self-care tip, get a personal assistant. So now I have a personal assistant and she like reaches out to them and connects with them and then sets up the scheduling and all of that. So that's one thing that I don't have to do, but she goes through the list and is like, hey, this person's available there, this person's available here. So just I just organize it in a way to be like, hey, can you reach out to these people for this month? Can you reach out to people for this month? Um, but it's mostly, you know, arts administrators who have been in the field for a while, probably mid-level um, executive level, thinking about someone who's getting ready to come on my next episode. So like mid-level, executive level folks um, who have seen the field, who have navigated the spaces, who have experienced the experience <laughs> um, and just getting their story. I think no one hears our stories enough. Um, and then the, the fact that they don't hear our stories, they use that as an excuse to say, oh, we don't exist within the field. So I try to make sure that I, um, put everyone's story to the forefront because, you know, there's a there's a group called Where Are All the Black People or Here Are All the Black People, I think it's based in New York. So it's, it's basically the same thing, like, here are all the people of color in the arts that y'all said didn't exist, right? And they all come on my show, so. <laughs> talk, talk to us about the structure because it really does feel like it, it creates a flow, a really interesting flow and you get in deep really quickly in, in each of the segments. Cool. Um, yeah. So we start off just, how you doing? What's up? Hey, everyone. Um, and then we immediately go into um, Real Raggedy, which is like current news, current events. Uh, we pick articles, select those articles, and then we say if it's real or raggedy, and then I do a voice if it's raggedy. Um, uh, then we get into the interview. Um, the interview is like, organic in its own way, you know, I have a structured set of questions, but you know, I always like to ask uh, follow ups. Um, and then we get into the like, let's get liberated and uh, seeds of liberation and the calls to action. So um, it's just yeah, it's just a really, really, it, so far, it's been really fun. Um, and it's probably still gonna be really fun. But you know, I just learned so much from everyone, there's always at least one thing I learned from someone. So it's just I just really appreciate people trusting me with their stories to put out there. That's yeah. I, I, I can absolutely relate to that in terms of 
people trusting you with their stories and, and you want to make sure that you're caretaking and that kind of thing. And, and what the prep work can, it seems like, it seems to me in listening that the kind of prep work that's necessary feels like the person, the person who's invited and accepting the apps, uh, the, uh, the invitation also is wanting to put that work in, in, in a, in a way that feels, you know, conversational, but also about moving our field forward. Right. And we also drink wine. It's a requirement that you have to drink wine. Well, and so my goal is I try to finish a full bottle of wine by the end of the episode while we're recording, but I, I've only done it once with Darrell. <laughs> I haven't done it yet. When I got with Corey, because Corey wasn't drinking that much. So I ended up doing just a half a bottle. So she, because I just wanted, you know, I didn't want to get too drunk. And she, you know, yeah, it's a balance, a balance. <laughs> so you have to drink, you have to drink wine. It's a requirement. If you don't drink wine, then drink something else. So, so <laughs> you were talking about, you know, I've heard, I've heard from some folk um, as you've been putting out these episodes, could, would you like to share uh, anything about how people are engaging with the podcast in terms of the audience? Okay. So I hear good things from folks, but then also like some random white person is like, I listen to your podcast. And I'm like, really? Like who for real? Um, <laughs> so that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then people who are within my professional circles hear the podcast and like earlier this week someone was calling themselves like they were trying to call me out for talking about a situation on the podcast basically i called a whole bunch of old white women ladies who lunch mm-hmm. on one of my former podcast episodes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and they felt the way about it and they said that it was racist and i told them black people can't be racist so <laughs> you know i don't want to hear just i called you wealthy enough white and affluent that has nuts like that's not racist girl just 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 go away so it was like three or four women who are in my professional circle who basically like tried to approach me and said that they didn't like me calling them ladies who lunch and they felt it was racist and um you know that they said it wasn't appropriate i said hold up you can't tell me what's appropriate for my podcast and i'm not going to apologize to y'all either i'm not this is that's my truth that's my podcast this is my content you you ain't got sh- you're not even my target audience. So I don't care whoever sent it to you. I don't care. Like, this is who I am. This is what you get. But it is what it is. Yeah. Um, so let me, let's talk about that target audience. So, you know, you were surprised by somebody who's like, oh, I listened to it, who, who seemed to be white presenting. Like, who who is this for? Uh, it's for... Um... The black, indigenous, people of color, uh, folks in the field, um, especially the shit talking part. I think that's the best part. I think that's the part that everybody relates to the most when you're talking the shit. Um, the calls of action, I often kind of target white people for that because we have enough emotional and physical labor that we're going through that we don't need to be doing shit that they need to be doing shit. So, you know, that's why when I hear random white people, it's like, I listen to your podcast. I'm like, oh, you hear me talking shit, but then also you're hearing my call to action at the same time. So there's there's things that, you know, it's a little balance of 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 um, folks that I would say are my target audience. Yeah, I mean, I I, I, I think that's part of it too. There, um, there's, a, there's a bit of a window coming into the culture, right? And then there's that, that call to action is, like, I think you all... So far, what I've heard, uh, it, there's a dissection or dissection. Is that the word I'm looking for? Um, a dissecting. Yeah. A dissecting of 
you know, either hot, you know, topics or issues of the moment, as well as the articles that you're bringing in that sometimes have the, the of the moment uh, feel to it, or it could be about like, let's look at the, the history of, of a, a particular issue that's threaded throughout a particular article or issue. Um, and so in order to impact change, you do need people who are not necessarily in, you know, in the black uh, indigenous or Latinx or Asian sort of diaspora, right? That uh, that's part, that is part of it, even if it's not necessarily, I think that's interesting that the thinking about the different segments are, you're thinking very specifically about a particular um, set of folks, but that, you know, as a listener, I'm listening to the whole thing. Right. So I think that's, that's, I don't know if I need to say anything more about that. I just think that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, everybody usually listens to the whole thing, but yeah, I'm targeting close to action. I'm definitely targeting white people. <laughs> like I'm literally giving out solutions of things you can do. So, um, and then you're also hearing from people in the field of things that you should be doing. So it's not just like, oh, Kwanis is saying this. This is, you know, Kwanis plus the guest is saying things. Mm. So. And do you, would you consider <sighs> black women in general have to do so much educating and they and there's a naturalness to it and then there's the emotional labor piece of it too, right? Would you in terms of this, this is something that you have creative control over. You are you've designed it around a field that you are um, deeply entrenched in and I think lovingly care for. And you've also are wrapping this around a, a particular community, um, be, like sort of inside that and outside. It feels like it's like, it's a wrap, if that makes sense. Like <laughs> I keep going like circle, circles. So would you, I, I think where my question, I think where my question is, is that <laughs> you can see me like, um, would you say that this is a form of education? I would say yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't, I don't necessarily see the podcast as like a, a laborious task. Like it's, um, it's something that actually gives me relief <laughs> and I look forward to recording it because one, I get to drink wine like freely and, you know, crazily, but then two, like, I'm dealing with a lot of other shit <laughs> in regards to like work and school. And it's just a lot of things happening, a lot of emotions. So this is kind of like my outlet. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if I'm able to bring that kind of, um, you know, that joy and that, that, uh, um, support to others, I think for me, that's what I, I hope people get from it. So. I think that's, great and i again that resonates very very much with me i was i yesterday i was talking uh, to a uh, a graduate level class at city college about the podcast um or i came in about the podcast but they could ask me about anything and they really were wanting to learn more about like my why why did you start this and how and and um and how do you keep going and when do you say no <laughs> you know all those kinds of questions and one of the things that i i recognize is yeah, it's a, it's a lot of work. And obviously I, I do it because I, um, I, I want to, but it also is that like creative outlet. Like I have complete control over it in a way that I don't necessarily have complete control over everything at my full-time job or everything in my life or working with my family or, you know, so being able to bring my whole heart into this, this kind of project, or if that's what you want to call it, um, uh, it feeds me. 
Yeah. I mean, you literally, I literally just sit down, talk to someone. There's no board of directors I got to report to. <laughs> like, right? Like, you are, I am the board of directors <laughs> for the podcast. I make the decision. I cut things, I put things in, put things out. That's my decision. Um, so it, it does give me more agency, I think. Mm. Um, because, you know, sometimes, I'm not a fan of nonprofit industrial complex and all the nonprofit structures and all the bullshit and policies and all that. So for me to be able to use, create a platform, use my agency to have a voice and to create, you know, um, creative content, um, it just, it just feels like the weight is slowly kind of getting off of my shoulders in a way, because during the day I have to deal with all that shit. I have to deal with, I'm an ED of a nonprofit organization. So I had to deal with that. I'm a founder of another nonprofit organization. So I have to deal with that. I'm in a doctoral program. So I got to deal with that. So it's like, I'm it's navigating these like multiple spaces during the day where these structures are set up. But then at the same time, I'm like pulling back because where, if I, continue to only be in those type of spaces, what am I doing to make sure that I, I, I have some type of relief? Mm. Um, so the podcast to me is like a, a, a relief. Beautiful. Um, where can one find your podcast? Oh, we are on all of the podcast networks. Uh, so the Apple podcast app, Google play, Stitcher, <laughs> iTunes, <laughs> I don't remember all the names of those things, but yeah, any, just type in Black Arts Admin Bitch and then it automatically comes up. And then you can also listen to it on our website or my website. Um, and another piece of that is that it's kind of a bit bigger than just the podcast. And I'm hoping to grow into that piece. I'm still kind of thinking about the strategy around that. So what I'm hoping to do is create Black Arts Admin Bitch culture which is like an overall platform for uh, BIPOC folks in the arts to have like opportunity to create money and monetize their own podcasts. Um, so what I'm hoping to do is like, you know, select about three or four folks who are currently doing podcasts, be able to package that up, push it to sponsors, push it to people who are interested in like giving us coins and then splitting that amongst them. So, um, you know, it's based off of the Ujama, um, principle for Kwanzaa, just that collective positioning, you know, that, that, that collectivism, that collaboration, that, you know, cooperative economics. So I just want to make sure that I'm building up not just the podcast, but also this platform to give other people opportunities to get coins. Cause you know, putting on a podcast is not easy. So <laughs> if we can do it together and we can make money together, then let's do it. You know? I think that's wonderful. I'm, I I love, I love everything that you just explained. I don't, again, I don't need to comment on it. I just want to say, yeah. The last thing I want to just touch upon before we wrap up is um, that self-care piece that you talked about the podcast itself being a release, but it is also still a lot of work, work that you, you truly seem to care for, which I, I also love. Um, but yeah, I uh, I saw a picture on your on one of your feeds. I was just like this beautiful tropical place, <laughs> um, and so there's like the ability to maybe step away, go away, get rest, you know, replenish. But what are some te- some strategies that you you employ along the way on a, either on a daily basis or in general? 
daily basis, I, I am terrible at doing things on a daily basis. Um, but when I have, I, you know, we've been working remotely for the past year. So I've been in my house. There's, you know, to me, there's a, a really tough balance between like home and work life because now you're working at home <laughs> and you're homing at work, right? Like, <laughs> um, and so like, sometimes I'm just in the middle of being in the, on my computer, being in the apartment. And I'm like, I need to get the fuck up out of here. Like, and then that's where I'm like looking for <laughs> discounts, looking for like ways that I could just get on the plane. The reason I was getting on a plane during COVID is because I realized that not too many people were going international because a lot of people were traveling domestically. And so I was like, well, if somebody is planning an international trip, they really have to like plan for it. And I'm not a plan for it person. I'm a last minute person. So all of those people on that plane planned for that probably months ahead of time. Um, and then, you know, I also choose places where you have to get a COVID test. So I went to Aruba back in August. And then I went to uh, St. Martin back in November. And then I just came back from Curacao. So like I'm choosing places where I know that a lot of people really don't go to because everybody going, I see everybody going to Mexico, to Tulum and to Dominican Republic and to Puerto Rico, even though Puerto Rico is a part of the United States. But you know, I see people going there, but then they also don't have COVID tests. So I'm like, ah, oh, fuck no, I can't, go. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do that. I can't do that. I have, Cause I have elder family members that, you know, I don't want to catch COVID and then give it to one of them. Like I have an 82 year old uncle. Why, why, yeah, why would I put them at risk? Um, so yeah, I just try to be very like, even though it was very last minute, I try to be very strategic about where the hell I go in order to get that self care. <laughs> um, clearly, cause clearly you see, I thought it, I think it out because I'm like, nobody just gets up and goes on a plane internationally. They usually plan that out a couple of months ahead. So, um, most of the flights that I've been on been empty, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> um, except for when I had to connect in Miami, that shit was terrible. Oh. <laughs> Miami looked like it was a regular day in America again. It's necessary, but it also sometimes I find coming back and being, um, you know, much more connected to reality. It, that is a hard reentry, yeah, <laughs> but an important one. So, Quinnies, I I could talk to you forever, but I do want to respect your time. <laughs> so, thank you so much for for spending some time. Thanks for sharing more about your podcast. I I do want to make sure that. Um, you know, the teaching artistry podcast is supporting black arts admin bitch, uh, podcast. And, um, I, I likely will be sharing it with people who are of all different races and other identities. I really think that it's, it's a, it's a really strong platform. And I'm, thanks for, thanks for accepting my invitation. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I mean, the, the whole platform is based off of fucking shit up. So <laughs> I'm ready to fuck shit up. So everybody else gotta be ready too. Cause I ain't gonna be out here fighting by myself. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you're. I don't think you're by yourself. No. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. Happy Pride Month, y'all. I am proud to be part of and in solidarity with the LGBTQIA plus community. I have been working towards um, opening up heart space and mind space to continue to learn and grow within this community to more fully embody these words. 
Also this month, uh, we celebrate Juneteenth, which is now a federal holiday. Now, there are many emancipation commemorations that have been celebrated for generations, state to state. However, the road to liberation is long and rough, and there is so much more needed than a federal holiday to create pathways toward true liberation for black people, like expanding voter rights, engaging in the difficult but essential conversations about race in schools and beyond, addressing police violence perpetrated on black and brown bodies, reparations, dehumanizing black people and folks who are not white, just to name a few. I am a descendant of enslaved Africans. I'm here today because they suffered through and survived being dehumanized through cyclical violence over and over again for generations. My ancestors feel simultaneously so close and so far away, and I am grappling with the complexities of my feelings around that. But what I can say definitively is that I am proud to be part of their dream. Additionally, I acknowledge that my skin, my light skin, affords me privilege that I am working on being more mindful of. Without speaking, my skin signals that I am also the descendant of those who dehumanized and perpetrated the violence against my African ancestors. It also holds those who were indigenous to this nation and held love and solidarity in their hearts. So while historically I haven't necessarily celebrated Juneteenth as, as prominently um, as I think folks have are starting to understand what that can look like um, this month or this, yeah, this month I decided that during some of my research um and things I already knew, but the conversation around fashion, which is very important to me in certain ways and not important in other ways about like just how you can feel good in your own skin and feel good in the clothes and how you express yourself. And my ancestors, in honor of my ancestors, I chose to wear um, a dress that had some colors of meaning um, that made me feel very, very happy in honor of those who could not or did not have a choice in what they could wear. I also chose to go to the beach and relax and rest to fill my well before returning to work and continuing on this journey, again, in honor of my ancestors who have suffered and died through that suffering. How did you celebrate Juneteenth? So in this second second interview of a three-part series. It is featuring award recipients from our partner, Association of Teaching Artists. Kwame Scruggs received the 2020 Innovation in Teaching Artistry Award for demonstrating innovation and excellence in the field um, for uh, his work at Alchemy, which is located in Akron, Ohio. And this is a program that he, he's the founder and the director, um, and he developed this program to engage young men uh, through the telling and discussing and uh, interpretation of mythological stories and fairy tales through uh, the beat of an African drum.
something I love uh, when I partner with organizations like ATA, which is actually now called uh, Teaching Arts Guild. Um, I often get the chance to meet someone new and learn about their story. And so in this episode, Mr. Scruggs shares a bit about his background, the mission of uh, his organization, Alchemy, and how it got started. Something I will say is that Kwame is a, is, is a remarkable human and he wasn't afraid to be vulnerable with me and we're here for it. Here is episode 43, act one, Kwame Scruggs, Tears on the Drum. Kwame. Courtney. <laughs> well, welcome. Welcome to Teaching Artistry. Um, I'm really excited. Uh, absolutely. Um, so just to live a little background, this podcast uh, is going into its uh, fifth season and it celebrates artists, uh, culture, and equity. And um, I'm excited to learn more about your journey in the arts and the arts education field, the humanities, as you said earlier. Um, and we're also, I'm hoping that we can talk about equity work, anti-racism, liberatory practices, that kind of thing. Um, and how I got introduced to you was because you received a, an award last year from the Association of Teaching Artists, um, the Innovation in Teaching Artistry Award um, for your work at Alchemy in Ohio. So I, I can't wait to learn more about that. Um, but tell me, how are you and your loved ones doing in this time? Uh, I am good. I'm uh, yeah, talking to an old buddy today. I haven't talked to him in a while, about 10 years. Uh, I'm good. And, and uh, those close to me, my mom and dad, 94, 92, uh, two sisters, everybody close to me is fine. Yeah. So, yeah. so we, so I often ask this question about how, how our guests um, identify as a, as an artist. So what would you say is your artist artistry? Um, as, as a, I'm definitely an artist at heart. Um, uh, like I say, my focus primarily, you know, now the humanities, but, uh, I majored, I, I majored in commercial art in high school. Okay. Which is what, 30 some years ago. Uh, wow. 40 some years ago. Um, and then, and then in college, I majored in commercial art for a while, going to school in the evening. But uh, I'm for mostly now everything is oil, paint, fine arts. But mostly, like for the work I do is uh, in the humanities. But I, I've been picking up my brush lately. Okay, uh, doing a little work. Yeah, so not too bad. <laughs> Well, that's cool. And and so tell us a little bit about, oh, sure. One thing about being an artist, one thing about cool about being an artist, it gives you a license to be moody. <laughs> it can. I mean, I feel like artists have a lot of big feelings. And what's lovely is that they have different mediums to express those feelings, right? 
Um, so talk to us about, about Alchemy. Like, uh, you are the founder and director of this institution. Can you tell us what, what its mission is and, and how it got started? Okay, uh, Alchemy is like it's the, the word itself, ancient art of transformation. Uh, uh, back in the Middle Ages, the, the alchemists thought they could take a base metal, put it through a chemical process and extract gold out of it, which they called philosopher's stone. So use that as a metaphor in working with urban youth. Um, and so while um, basically the, uh, the mission is to uh, assist youth in their development mm -hmm. through the uh, telling discussion and analysis of mythological stories, and fairy tales told to the beat of a drum, uh, a djembe drum. So uh, with our core youth, we get them in sixth grade, keep them until they graduate from high school, start off at, as an after school program and then for three years. And then um, ninth through 12th grade, we met with them on Saturdays, four hours, uh, 10 months out of the year. And then we had a combined with an in-school program. So now we're all in school, but everything we do is uh, we create a safe space, uh, tell a portion of a myth to the beat of a drum, stop at critical points, ask them what resonates with them in the myth, no right or wrong answers. And we have anywhere from 20, 40 questions per myth, but it's all about, it's all about getting them to, to incorporate the characters, traits of the hero into their own lives, become the hero in their own story. So um, it's, um, it's about getting them to believe in themselves, you know, and persevere, overcome obstacles. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's pretty cool. The thing about myth is, man, when I was uh, I've, been, I've been using myth with youth now for man about twenty five years. But um, if you if you tell somebody they're doing something wrong, it's just natural to become defensive. But, if, but I found that if you tell them through a story, through a myth, then it removes you from the situation and it allows you to look at the situation objectively. So, so, we, so we use the myths to get them to quit lying to themselves. Okay, okay. And just, and just see what's actually going on, you know, in their life. And then, and then through listening to the other, you know, youth, uh, they see the rain does not fall on one roof alone. So, I mean, you know, we use a lot of quotes, uh, but the thing is they go together, you know, go through the program as a cohort. So like I say, start in sixth grade, go through 12. Um, our first core group was just like, some of them like sixth grade through 12 and others, ninth grade through 12. But um, yeah, everything through myths and fairy tales. Uh, and it's, it's pretty cool. I've been blessed with, uh, some really, really cool youth. We've worked with over 2,000 or close to 2,000 since 2003, but our core youth, once have been in the program, you know, for four to seven years, like about 80. Yeah. So, yeah. That's a long time to be working with the same young people. Yes, and wow, it is so cool to, uh, to see their development, you know, and see their growth. Man, I got, I got over 5,000 pictures, you know, because uh, we used to take a lot of pictures of them. And wow, just to see them grow from sixth grade to the 12th, uh, it is it is extremely rewarding. And um, 
by the same token, it is frustrating to see, to see, you know, a percentage of them with all the potential in the world, just for lack of a better phrase, go the wrong direction, you know? So, uh, it's rewarding and frustrating, but, uh, <laughs> when I, Hey, I'm laughing to keep from crying. Uh, when I was 38 years old, I was reading this book, Power Myth by Joseph Campbell and asked, his, his one sentence changed my entire life. He said, when you follow your bliss doors open where you thought there'd be no doors. And I asked myself, what, what did I want to do? Not what could I do, what did I want to do? And my exact words were play my drum and tell mythological stories. So now uh, people thought I was crazy because this was back in 1997. Uh, and people thought I was nuts. And hey, that's what I get paid to do now. So man, I, I've, I've, for hell, hell, I've been paid to do for the last, what, 20 some years, but I, I painted myself in the corner. There, there, there goes a little artistic, you know, artistic pun for you. Painted myself in the corner because uh, now I can't complain because this is what I asked for, you know. <laughs> you know so they say it's only two tragedies in life. One is to not get your heart's desire and the other is to get it. <laughs> I'm just so curious about, um, yeah, what what made you, so you had this moment where you're like, I'm going to do this thing and people think I'm, I may be off my rocker, but I'm going to do it anyway. What's that? What's that? Like, what made you do it anyway? Um, it was, um, um, for me, reading this book, Men in the Water Life by Michael Mead, and and um, he, he, would, he, would, he told a myth. He had seven different myths that he told. He would tell the myth and then give his interpretation. First two myths deal with the father-son relationship, following two mother-son relationships, and the other just about life. And it just helped me to understand so much about my life to admit. So then I, I was working at University of Akron at the time, working in Upper Bound, and I was working with youth, urban youth, and and, and I was running parent workshops. And so uh, I said, wow, I'm going to start using this with the youth and adults. And it, it just worked. And um, um, I, here again, Campbell's sentence, you know, follow your bliss. And, and that, that's what I just love doing. So I said, I'm going to take the chance. And so uh, I knew I would need uh, some credentials, you know, to do something like that. So then I, you know, found a school. That's a whole long story, but found a school that offered a degree in mythological studies with an emphasis in depth psychology, which is a study of the unconscious. So I, so I traveled back and forth from Akron, Ohio to Santa Barbara, L.A., then to Santa Barbara for like three years, 10 months out of the year uh, to get that degree. And, um, but what made me do it while well, it's just, it's just, you know, how, when you had that calling, you got a calling and you're just like, Hey, you, you follow it. They say, uh, they say, well, I'll, I don't really want to say it like this. I'm going to forget that first quote. Um, they say those who were seen dancing were thought to be crazy by those of whom could not hear the music. Okay. So. It was just something that just kept pushing me and pushing me and pushing me to do it. And then I took the chance and did it. And um, I, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And 
the youth that joined the program just happened to be, wow, some beautiful youth. And uh, as they say, the rest is history. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I I think that if I, if I may, uh, yeah, we just please, met. Please. We literally just I met. Honesty. We... <laughs> I love honesty. So let's go at it. <laughs> when we uh, opened up the Zoom, but I think what's interesting is I just ha- the quote. I just happened to be at the right place at the right time when you took you followed that impulse and then you made a commitment to going to school in a completely another part of the country so that you could do the 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 scholarship in order to get to really unpacking and understanding and, or getting digging underneath what myth, myths can do and mythology is. And then this other piece about the psychology um, so that you could build a program that I'm also assuming speaks to you from an artistic perspective, as well as the humanities perspective, like all that work that you did in order to get here. That's not luck. That's you made that happen. Well, Thank you. Um, I had a lot of help. You know, like in myth, you find a hero never accomplishes their task alone. Hero, hero will never accomplish their task alone. He always has assistance from some sort of guide. So meanwhile, you know, I had plenty of help along the way. Ancestors, so I mean, you know, like you say, hey, only you alone can do it, but you can't do it alone. So I had a lot of help. Um, and then, and then, hey, don't get me wrong. Like I say, well, I, I trust me when I tell you I was in the right place at the right time. <laughs> okay. For a lot of different things and just things just came together. You know, they came together. Yeah. I, and I, that's not taking anything away from the sacrifices that I made. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. Thank you for clarifying that to me. Um, so in this time, uh, you have this deep, impactful, program that I'm imagining the the beating of the drama the djembe is is um something that pulsates right um when you're in a room together or able to be in a room together but what what have you had to do in this last year to to translate or to adjust your program um because of covid yeah, it's, it's been challenging. Wow, talking about the drums, like while we're in, like after school, we start, and, and remind me to answer your question, but, 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 you know, you're talking about the drums, and we, man, the sixth, seventh, and eighth grade after school, uh, when I was playing the drum, you know, the youth was really liking that. So while we end up getting some earth drums on $10 a piece, and I saw they were really digging that, then I went and got some better drums, and I ended up getting top quality drums. So, like, they all had gym bag drums, and so, Man, we would jam for a while, you know, after school. And then we met on Saturday sometime. It would be four hours. Sometimes we would, we, we would drum for maybe a half hour, 45 minutes in the morning and then right after lunch. But uh, this, uh, so miss that because now it's in school, okay? I mean, we still play the drum, but we can't, we can't, they can't drum, you know, in school. But uh, this year has been challenging for a couple of reasons. Uh, this is our third core group. And they're seniors, the majority of them are seniors this year that we had since sixth grade. And to end like this is, you know, is, is sad. Um, um, and then having to do it all virtual. First off, you know, it's a challenge. It's been a challenge using Google, you know, as opposed to Zoom. We got to use Google because of Akron Public Schools. Uh, and that's been a challenge just to, to trying to get on. 
Uh, <laughs> so that, and then when you do get the students to show up, um, um, you know, we tell them we want to see their face because here again, now, you know, these dudes, mostly seniors, you got a few sophomores, all of them been in the program since sixth grade. So, so one thing we stress in alchemy is honesty. Okay. And so then like, we want to see your face, you know, we want to see, and I know it's difficult for some of them. They can't necessarily show the things they got going on, but, uh, if, if, you know, for when they do get there, it's still a challenge. It's so, it's so new, you know, get them to be in, getting them to be engaged, showing up and getting them to be engaged. But once they show up for the most part, they're engaged. Okay. But it's, it's just, it's a challenge virtual. My goodness. But, you know, we're not the only one going through it. Everybody is going through it. So yeah, this year has been a challenge. This is obviously not the way we wanted to end things, but you know, we ain't the only ones. No, no, that's true. I mean, the fact that you're able to keep running the program is wonderful. And the, I guess the question that I, that I'm, I'm having right now, cause I'm, I'm in a, for my full-time job, same, I, I, most of my programming is in school and we're, we're in a mixture. Some schools are only Google meet. Some are, are able to use zoom. So there's a bit of a, uh, you know, var there's variations, but there's still a lot of, you know, red tape and whatnot to get into those spaces. Yeah, yeah. It's very, very challenging. And it's been, you know, we were, I'm in New York city, so we're working also with the largest system, uh, school system in the city and, or in the country. And there's just a lot of systemic issues, period. Um, but that idea or that drive to continue to do our best to, to engage, to be there, to be as support, um, oh, and to be as consistent as we possibly can be within our young people's lives is, is really valuable and important. Um, so I'm really, I'm really happy to hear that there is something despite the challenges. Yeah. Yeah. So, so here again, we use a lot of quotes, um, and and you just take life situations everything's a learning experience like we told them you know adversity introduces a person to themselves so so this right here is a pretty good barometer to you know see how you're going to deal with challenges you know that's coming up another quote we use is the way you do anything is the way you do everything mm -hmm. so it's like it's like you know this is this is a for all the things we talk about in the myths you know this is the time for you to step up you know um, so it's been interesting just to see how certain individuals have, you know, have handled the situation, myself included. It's been a challenge, you know, uh, you know, working with youth, uh, <laughs> patience, they say patience, Latin root pati to suffer with calmness and, uh, wow, just gotta be patient as patient as possible, you know? It ain't easy. A brother is tired. <laughs> I was real tired. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, I would love to talk a little bit about the fact that, you know, you use the, the term urban. What, what does that mean? Uh, thanks for asking. Uh, uh, I say, you know, it means different things to different people, but for me, uh, 98% of 
95% of the youth we work with are, are black youth, uh, but we have some white youth too, and they come from urban neighborhoods, okay? So for one, one I've done a few things with suburban youth, and it's, it's just different uh, because generally speaking, suburban youth have their basic needs met. Okay? And when you have your basic needs met, it's, it's, it's for lack of better word, lack of better word it's easier like i say for lack of better word okay it's easier to to get some things done okay so so that's why i distinguished between urban and because we have white youth in our program it might only be a few you, you know but we have white youth and they come from urban neighborhoods some of them because one of the schools we work in it's in an urban neighborhood, but it's, I don't know if I necessarily call it urban. <laughs> okay. Maybe it's, it's more resourced. Is that? Yeah. So, so yeah. So I call it urban because it's majority of our youth come from urban neighborhoods. Now, granted, you know, it's all relative. Uh, I'm Akron, Ohio, 30 minutes from Cleveland, but, but we, um, home of LeBron James. Um, and, and Steph Curry was also born in Akron. He wasn't raised in Akron, but Steph Curry was also born in Akron. Uh, big sports town. I mean, I mean, we used to be the rubber capital of the world. Headquarters, Goodrich, Goodyear, Firestone, BF, you know, BF Goodrich. Uh, but um, we're seeing been a lot of murders here, you know, per capita. Matter of fact, wow. We lost, man. We lost two. We lost three of our alchemy youth over the year. Um, yeah. So I guess where I I I I really appreciate you sort of painting that picture because I think what I'm trying to understand mainly because I I don't know Akron Ohio well, um, and I'm curious about. When you talked earlier about the, you know, the efforts it takes to get engagement or get the young people to show up, but once they're there, it, it you know, it feels like a, a participation levels and, and um, engagement levels are, are pretty high. But, um, you know, one of the things that we, we are all, I think we meaning those of us in this field are acutely aware of is that there is so much that could be happening in our young people's or our participants um, lives that we can never fully understand, especially in this moment. Um, and so I think, I think my question is around, you know, I, don't, I actually don't know what my question is yet. I, I think it's, it's about like, are we doing enough? <laughs> can we do, can we do everything that is necessary or is there, um, you know, is there a way to think about how our programs intersect with their lives and what we can be as part of the larger ecosystem of their lives? Does that make sense? What I'm saying? I don't even know if I'm <laughs> saying right yeah, now. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Very much. I got an answer for you. I got an answer for you. Um, the one thing that I think is, you know, unique about alchemy is here again, you know, we had these youth over seven years and, and we, we sit in those circles and 
constantly say what's said in that circle stays in that circle. Mm. And so I, so these youth are sharing. You'd be amazed at the things these youth share with us, okay? But the one reason they share with us is because we share our lives with them, okay? It's, it's amazing what you hear will hear us as adults share with them, okay? I mean, personal stuff. I mean, ex I mean, extremely deep personal stuff. So I think the one thing that as adults, you can't teach somebody something you don't know and you can't lead them somewhere where you yourself are unwilling to go mm. and you know when you care. Okay. And, it, and as artists, wow, I think the one thing that's so cool, I'm a National Guild for Community Arts and Education. Mm. Wow. Just being around adults who, who have art background, who work with youth. I have not met a better combination of people. Okay, I have not met a better combination of people. So I'm preaching to the choir here because I believe most people in the arts, they already do that. Okay, for what I said, I think it's more so meant for teachers as a whole, not artists. Okay, because artists, I think they are already coming because like, you know, like we started off, we already have that that empathy. Okay, we know what it is. So we are already sensitive, you know, so I think so. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of preaching to the choir, but it's just here again, you know, honesty, we're big on honesty. And I think, I think being honest with them, um, and just being willing to make sacrifices. Uh, one of my board members asked when I'm looking for facilitators, what am I looking at? And I told him right off the top of my head, I said, I'm looking for people who are literally willing to die for the youth. And he told me, well, that's going to knock out 99% of your pool. And I told him immediately, I'll roll with that 1%. Okay. So, um, yeah. I mean, hey, uh, life feeds off of itself. In order for some to live, something else must die. So I think just for us just to be patient as possible um, and try to look long term. You know, and just and just realize as you're saying, wow, I give these youth credit for getting up every day. When I hear the stories that they, you know, what they go through, I didn't have to go through that. I grew up in a time period. I'm 63. I grew up in a time period when, you know, fathers were in damn near every home. You know, I grew up all black neighborhood on store on store avenue. On Store Avenue between Lawton and Slauson, all right? <laughs> and, uh, showed me a tattoo. Back when I was growing up, it was the rubber capital. So, I mean, you get out of high school, you get a job, you know, the following week. I graduated on Thursday, started working at Goodyear the following Monday. But but I didn't have to go through the things that they, you know, go through 80, 85% of our youth single parent families. You know, I mean, I remember my wife was gone for just four days and my son low maintenance. I couldn't wait for her to get back. And that's when I when I, I ain't really had to do nothing. I made him lunch maybe a couple of times. He's staying down the street for the most part. And that was just four days. And I'm like, wow, people do this every day. You know, and it's just like, man. So here again, just giving, just really, just really trying to put ourselves in their shoes and just giving them the benefit of doubt. I don't know if you ever seen that piece because I didn't have a pencil. You ever read that? No. Because I didn't have a pencil. Oh, please write that down. Wow, because I didn't have a pencil. Oh my goodness, I wish I, whew, that'll be worth, wow. Oh, uh, man. We got, I'm, I'm gonna find this right now. 
This would be worth reading. Literally writing it down, but you're looking it up. I found it. You mind if I read it? It's it's it's, it's short. By Josh by, by Joshua T. Dickerson. Cause I ain't got a pencil. I woke myself up because we ain't got an alarm clock. Dug in the dirty clothes basket. Cause ain't nobody washed my uniform. Brushed my hair and teeth in the dark. Cause the lights ain't on. Even got my baby sister ready. Cause my mama wasn't home. Got us both to school on time to eat us a good breakfast. Then when I got to class teacher fussed because I ain't got a pencil. Bam. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, one thing I'm inferring from that is like, look what this young person has been able to accomplish well before they ever got to school. And that's, that's all that they're seen for is not having, you know, yeah. Come on, yeah. come on. And you know how many of our youth, urban youth deal with that on a daily basis? Not to mention like what happened on the way to school, right? If they happen to, yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah, come on, or the night before, or the night before that, yeah. come on. Thank you for listening to episode 43, act one of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body, Kwame Scruggs, Tears on the Drum. Join us next time for act two, this podcast is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the director of creative content. John Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org and head to the pod shop at the top of the page for merch. Twitter us at TA underscore artistry, the gram at teaching artistry with CJB. And now on YouTube, check out the Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body channel and watch We Can't Go Back. Like our page on Facebook, listen to us on SoundCloud, subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now. Ooh.